you are not the hero of your story. So many companies try, when they put messaging and marketing out there, they try to be the hero. They try to look great and show how great they are and impress their clients. And in reality, we would argue that you're going to do better and be more successful if you position yourself as the guide instead of the hero. Your customer is the hero. From the studio of Rule 29, I'm your host, Justin Ahrens, and this is Design Of, a storytelling exploration featuring interviews with known and unknown extraordinary people doing extraordinary things. And for episode 32, I'm excited to share with you a master teacher, storyteller, author, and one of the most enjoyable humans I know, Dr. J.J. Peterson. J.J. is the chief of teaching and facilitation at StoryBrand. StoryBrand is a marketing company started by New York Times bestselling author Don Miller that teaches companies how to clarify their message and connect to their ideal customers. They also have a methodology that people can get certified in as a guide, which I am one, that JJ and the rest of the StoryBrand team are in charge of teaching and supporting. This interview is to take place in person, which I prefer to do. But like all of you during this time, JJ and I are shelter in place during the COVID-19 season. So this episode, being the first over Zoom, starts with JJ and I catching up and debating when we first met. And although JJ has a lot to share about his book and all the goings on at StoryBrand, we started with digging into his earlier years, which he spent exploring different ways to tell and share stories. Oh, and a program note, his laugh just makes you giggle. <laughs> That's when we, re- when we really got to know each other was yeah. our first trip to Africa, which we went on too, I think, to Africa together. But yeah, we yeah we just met virtually, but then all of a sudden connected over like, oh, film and story and oh. marketing and uh fundraising and nonprofit and like we just kind of all of a sudden realized oh we have a million different overlaps here we thought we just had one mutual friend connection with yeah. Justin uh, Justin Narducci but then all of a sudden it was like oh no 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 we know a t- we like at Sundance you know going to Sundance Film Festival yeah. and, like just yeah. different stuff like that where we connected so well, we- what I find interesting about that is that we're all still connected by story. I mean, we're even more connected by story now with what you currently do. But, you know, back then, uh, just talking about film, really brings me to one of my favorite parts of your life, which I also saw the other day, you talking about on Facebook with your um, acting picture. So how did you, how did, how did young JJ first get into uh, and the desire to, or realize you had the skill to be an actor? Um, I didn't. Well, that's funny. I, so my, my, my whole backstory is it felt very eclectic until I got into the current job I'm in. Um, it, like, it, I started out working in nonprofit and um, helping, my undergrad is in public relations. So I started doing marketing and fundraising and branding for a nonprofit. And um, while I was doing that in San Diego, I wanted just kind of an, a creative outlet, and I auditioned for um, the main stage at Comedy Sports, uh, which is improv comedy in San Diego. And I made. Well, hold on, it. had you had any experience doing that to date? No. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Taking any just, classes? No. Uh-uh. I just thought <laughs> I could do this. <laughs> and so, I mean, I had done like you know musical theater in high school and college and stuff, but like. But I feel everyone thinks when they, they watch a comedy show, oh, I could get up there and be funny. Yeah, and I had the, I was just like, you know what? Worst thing happens is I don't get it. And there was a couple hundred people that auditioned, and they picked three of us for the main stage. 
And I just started doing improv comedy in San Diego on the side. And then I ended up becoming a youth pastor, <laughs> which, which of course kind of worked together. And then while I was being a youth pastor, I did that for about four years and a, a comedy troupe that I had met asked if I wanted to tour with them. And at the time I was like, you know, I'm never going to get an opportunity like this again. So why not go for it? This is just one of the many things I love about JJ is he just goes for it and trusts that it will work out. Of course, it does help that he's hilarious. And so I became an improv comedian and toured with two other guys for like three or four years. And then kind of during that, I moved out to LA and continued to tour, but then just started doing like, I got an agent and started doing little bits of TV and film on the side when I wasn't traveling. And that, and then I started doing some writing and it just kind of all kept, it was always like almost a side project. It was always something I just did for fun because then I got tired of touring and then ended up getting my master's and started teaching communication and then got my PhD in narrative. Oh, hold on, hold on. Let's not get to Dr. JJ just yet. <laughs> Let's go back. Let's go back to some of my favorite highlights. Okay. okay. All right. So, all right, here's, here's. Here's JJ acting questions. Ready? Go. Okay. <laughs> Most popular show or movie that you appeared on or? Um, probably, <clears throat> I mean, that's kind of a hard question. Uh, either West Wing or The Office. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're on West Wing? Yeah. Just one. I mean, these are all very bit parts. <laughs> Most of my stuff got cut, like, and you pretty much have to have a pause button to find me. Um, but yeah, I was on... I was on the West Wing. I was a news. Uh, I was a reporter that was on Santos's, uh, which was Jimmy Smith's. His, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, his campaign plane, and so. Okay, so on your on your day was it just a day shoot or a couple of day shoot? Yeah, just okay. a day shoot. On your day shoot, can you remember? Like, how did you feel? <laughs> well, that was my very first acting job. Yeah. So it was insane. It was my very first job. And The West Wing was like one of my favorite shows. So I was shaking. I didn't know what to do. I kept having to ask questions because there's all these terms that I didn't understand. And I didn't like, know give it. A, give me a term a layman wouldn't, wouldn't know. Um, or, man. Anyone jump out to you? Well, just like the, the, the rates that they charge you for different things. So if they cut your hair, you get a pay bump. Um, you get a bump, which gives, it's like $12. So you have to decide if you want a bump or not. And I just didn't, people kept saying that, well, do you want a bump or do you not? And I was like, I don't know what that means. And um, and then like the- the They could have just said, do you want to make more money or not? Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. you know, like, you had to fill out certain paperwork when you went to wardrobe because they had to make sure that they got the stuff back. And I didn't know that. So I walked away with, with, with um, a press badge and I got in trouble. And so like things like that where it just, I just didn't understand it. And like literally the wardrobe person goes, that's what you wore. Like it was a very, <laughs> did you not read the audition? I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but what was crazy. Oh, were you supposed to? So, okay. So help me understand. So you, get on the show, but your agent yep. calls you and says they have a spot and yep. they want you to show up, right? Yep. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah. So do you get a, uh, you get a, a document to say, hey, tomorrow show yeah. up, call time is blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yep, they call, well, it's usually, back then it was done over the phone and so they would call and then say, all right, we're take these outfits, show up at this time, here's your address, here's how much you're gonna get paid. Here's how long the day is going to be, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I was 
I really was like, like totally nervous, but I found this guy who was super nice and he just kind of took me under his wing and kind of showed me around and helped me figure stuff out. Um, the craziest part though about this is, and remember this is my very first acting gig, right? So <clears throat> it turned out that the day I was filming was the first day back after the Christmas break. And over the Christmas break, John Spencer, who played uh, the the chief of staff. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was that when he died? That's when he died, over that break. And so I show up, I'd forgotten about that. Leo McGarry, he played Leo. Yeah. I'm Leo McGarry. Yes, sir. I wanted to meet you and I wanted you to meet me. Yes, sir. Would you like to put down your things and talk for a minute? If you don't, I understand. So I show up on set and everybody is like distraught and people are crying all day long and Bradley Whitford kind of had lost it multiple times on set. And I could not, I just couldn't figure it out because I was so wrapped up in trying to like just survive yeah. in the moment. Did I get I, my haircut or not? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the way that West Wing works is, well, when you go on most sets, people who are day players are like the lowest in the totem pole, right? Yeah. Like- For the peasants. Yeah, because they're not part of the cat crew or it, or the cast or anything. So they're the lowest. So like when it comes to eating, you eat last and you usually eat like back lunches. They're really, they're really great, but it's like, you don't, you don't talk to the cast, you don't eat with the cast, nothing. Well, I, what I ended up hearing was that um, on Martin Sheen's set, he flips it and he won't let that like hierarchy exist. So like it came to lunch and the day players went to eat first and everybody eats together, which doesn't happen. So I go in and there is the biggest spread you've ever seen. So there is, there's lobster, there's pot roast, there's steaks, there's, I mean, I mean, it's like the biggest spread you've ever seen. And so I get my food and I go and sit down and then everybody else, like, so us day players go first and then like the important people go last. So I sit down and I'm sitting down at my table and to the right of me sits Rob Lowe. To the left of me sits Molly Matlin and her interpreter. Across from me is Jimmy Smith's. Um, and uh, what's her name? His uh, Jed Bartlett's wife. Uh, oh, I can't remember her oh, name. Oh yeah, no, I know you're talking about. But yeah, uh, yeah. So they're like sitting at my table and they're having conversation about John Spencer, and I'm just eating my food. And they would like make an inside joke, and then Rob Lowe would turn to me to explain the joke. So it'd be like, remember when he'd kiss you? And they'd go, yeah. And then Rob Lowe would turn to me and be like, so John Spencer always set it up to where. When he met somebody, he would just kiss them on the lips. And it always freaked people out. So I'm having a conversation <laughs> with Marley Matlin and Stalker Channing. Stalker Channing. Was Channing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Jimmy Smits and Rob Lowe. And I, this is my first acting gig ever. So we finish and we go back. And then Martin Sheen comes in, who's my height, by the way. And I'm 5'4". So he comes in and he says, hey, everybody, I just want to thank you for being here today. Um, we're we're going to have some personal time right now and you are welcome to join us, but we're still going to pay you while we're not filming. And I was so confused and everything. Good evening. On December 16th, we lost our dear friend and colleague, John Spencer. Through our shock and grief, we can think of no more fitting memorial to this wonderful man, this extraordinary actor, than to share with you beginning tonight the last few months of his work here on the West Wing. 
Johnny, it seems we hardly knew you. We love you and we miss you. So I just go into the personal time and it turned out to be a, um, a memorial service for John Spencer. So wow. I'm in there with the whole cast. So Tommy Schlamme and Aaron Sorkin are up giving their- oh, Are you the only day player in there? The, me and one other person. Everybody <laughs> else didn't go. It was the dumbest thing ever. I was like, why? And, and it was one of the most amazing and lovely, mm. you know, Allison Janning was there and Bradley Whitford and Martin Sheen read a poem. And I was like, this is Hollywood. This is, I cannot believe that this is what my life gets to be. And that, that was my very first act job ever. Wow. I, yeah. Of all the years I've known you, I've never heard that You've story. You've never heard that story? No, no. Because I have lots, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, all right, so West Wing, and then you're on, uh, you're not going to be able to top that, but, but what other shows were you on? Um, the Office, My Name is Earl, Ghost Whisperer, um, Family Feud, oddly enough, like they, when, what they do is they, I was not on stage, but they film all the episodes of Family Feud for two weeks in one day. And so they can't have audiences in there. So they pay actors to be in the room and they pay cash. I did not know that at the time. And so I showed up and I'm like kind of dressed normal and thinking that I didn't fully understand what I was showing up for. And I'm, I'm sensing a theme of, of you, uh, where you and I are, are very similar. You obviously don't read emails or any documentation sent to you. No, that's not fully true. <laughs> but <laughs> that was like one of the things is where, because a lot of times they don't think you want to show up, so they don't give you all the details. So like this would be a thing I probably would have turned down for my agent, but my agent gets a percentage. <laughs> and so there you go. I, so I was like, oh, yeah, I'll show up. So they don't give you all the details. And so I show up in a suit and it, they're also, it's like me and a bunch of homeless people because they paid you cash on set. And so they, so we're in there and you have to sit for eight hours in filming. And you, the main thing you have to do is clap with your hands up by your face. Like if you clap with your hands in your lap, the camera can't see it. So you have to clap with your hands on your face and Oddly enough, there were a number of people in that room who could not get that direction accurate and ended up getting fired during the day because they wouldn't clap with their hands up by their face. So that was like- So someone actually got fired for not being a good audience member. Yes, yep. <laughs> because they, they weren't paying attention or like they'd yell out answers, like that happened. It was really the most re one of the most ridiculous things ever. Um, and then I did a whole bunch of like independent films and- um, uh, No big deal. Uh, I mean, nothing that most people would again ever see, but yeah. um, it was mostly a side job, but it was, I mean, Steve Carell, uh, when I was on The Office, I got to meet him and he was everything you wanted him to be. And so there was just like a lot would of- he, Would he be, would he be the, of the actors you're able to meet, would he be in the top? As far as famous wise? Yeah, famous so that you talk to, that you're just like, oh. I mean, Martin Sheen is kind of my, I would say, like right up there. But uh, yeah, Steve Carell, it was a, so same kind of thing. We got, I showed up on set and I always showed up way early because I kind of, I needed to be there early. It was LA traffic and everything. So I showed up way early and they, on this one, you called in and got the information. So you found out, I wasn't supposed to be there till like eight, but I found out there was a group that was supposed to be there at six. So I showed up at six, we were filming at this hotel and I just stood in the back and watched because that was my whole thing. I ultimately wanted to make television shows. So I wanted to yeah. know the whole process. So I just showed early, 
up early. We're in the lobby of a hotel and I'm off to the side just watching what's happening. And, um, and this lady comes down the elevator and she sees what's going on. She's like, what's happening? I said, Oh, we're, we're filming the office. And she starts to freak out. And she's like, I told my husband, if we went to Florida, we wouldn't see stars. But if we came here, we would, this is my favorite. I love Steve Carell. He's amazing. And she's kind of freaking out and getting loud. I'm calming her down. I calm her down and I move her behind like the monitors and so she can see everything and she's calling her husband and being kind of loud and I go away from her and I walk over by the reception desk and I'm standing there and Steve Carell walks right up to me and he has his lines and he's like, hi. And I said, hey, how you doing? And so I kind of go back to the lady and I go, there's Steve Carell. And, I, and she freaks out and she puts her hands over her mouth and she just drops to the floor and she starts crying. And I go, it's okay, it's okay, just go say hi to him. They're not filming yet. She's go, overwhelmed by stardom. Overwhelmed by yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. And so I'd say, just go say, like, you really appreciate his work. And I go, everybody loves a compliment. Go say hi. So she won't do it. So I go over to Steve Carell, and I just say, hey, Mr. Carell, would you actually just mind waving at that lady over there? When I told her it was you, she started crying. And he goes, why? I go, she, she just loves you. So he turns and waves, and by this time, she's standing back up, and she drops to the floor again. <laughs> so he hands me his- Is she out? Is she- No, like, no, 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 okay. no, no, no. She's just like overwhelmed. She's crying. Her hands are on her face. So he hands me his script and he goes over there and he picks her up off the ground and he gives her a hug and they're talking. And then all of a sudden the director yells, you know, a team, they've been doing lighting up to this point. And they said, a team get on set. So he signs an autograph for her and then comes back over to me and grabs a script. And he's like, Hey, thanks for doing that. And I was like, no problem. <laughs> so then later in the day, he, uh, during another scene, we're in a big auditorium. It was the it was the episode where um, Dwight was Dwight wins the award for being salesman of the year. I'd like to introduce the Dunder Mifflin Salesman of the Year, Dwight Schrute. Dwight, they called your name. Dwight, how we doing? No. Okay. okay you know what? You know what? Okay. No, no problem. You are lucky you have me here. I am going to cover for you. All right. Good morning, Vietnam! I am not Dwight Schrute. Not at all. I am Michael Scott, his mentor and boss. And until Dwight comes up, if he ever does, I wanted to say a few words about excellence. What makes a work environment excellent? Well, there are many things, I believe, that do such a thing of that nature. And one would be humor. Steve is giving his talk, but he's improvising everything and everybody keeps laughing. And so they kick the whole audience out. But as they're kicking everybody out, he comes by and he goes, he sees me and he's like, wow, that's kind of crazy this morning. And I was like, yeah, he's, he's like, she was super sweet and everything. So everybody leaves the room, but I'm still just in there with basically like the director, a few cameramen and Steve Carell. And he goes, hey, just hang out. And so I'm able to be in there. They filmed for an hour of Steve Carell 
just improvising his entire speech and I'm the only one in the room and he's playing to me. Like he literally was playing to me in the audience because there was no other audience. And so that was a pretty, he was like super nice and he talked to me a couple times. It was like the funnest, it was, that was another one of those like, what, what's my life? What in the world? Yeah, well, I mean, for a hobby, that's a pretty good couple yeah. of stories. <laughs> yeah, um, to, to get paid to hang out with people who are pretty yeah. amazing. Well, let's, let's close your famous um, experience with what I think is the gem uh-huh. of JJ, <laughs> and that is Missy Elliott. Do it now. Yes, I was uh, in a Missy Elliott music video. Um, I danced next to her. I compete with her in the music video for Chingling. Um, it was the, the title track to Step Up to the Streets 2. Um, <laughs> I would definitely have that video in our show notes, by the way. It was, uh, it was the first, this is a fun little fact, first 3D music video ever produced. And um, yeah, I, I, that's, that's a whole other story too, where I danced against her in Dance Dance Revolution and uh, for the audition and got the part. And I show up on set and I go to the security guy to say, I'm here. I'm the Dance Dance Revolution guy, and he goes, oh, Fat Michael Jackson. <laughs> what? He goes, what? No, I'm, I'm just, I'm the Dance Dance Revolution guy. And he goes, yeah, as Fat Michael Jackson. They were, they were supposed to call you to tell you to, like, learn some moves. And I'm like, you're, you're kidding, right? He goes, no, no, you are Fat Michael Jackson. So he gets on the radio, and he's like, Fat Michael Jackson is here, but he doesn't know he's Fat Michael Jackson. And everybody's like, yep, get Fat Michael Jackson to wardrobe. And so the whole day, they're just calling me Fat Michael Jackson. So you're and just I, walking through. I have no idea what's going on. No idea what's going on. So again, this seems to be a theme. So I get in, and I get to wardrobe. And I am not, people that don't see me on camera will know I'm, I'm short and I'm stocky. Like I'm 5'4 and, I, and I've got a belly for sure. And so they hand me a medium shirt, medium sized shirt in wardrobe. They got me black pants that are high water, silver, yeah. black shoes. So I'm getting- You're, you're fat Michael Jackson. Fat Michael Jackson. Yeah. And they give me a medium t-shirt. And I go, oh no, 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 this isn't gonna fit me. And the guy goes, no, it's not supposed to. Uh, (laughs) You want your belly to hang out while you're dancing. And he goes, in fact, we're not gonna show your face. We're just gonna like show your belly dancing and jiggling. And I was like, okay. Uh, okay. I go back to my dressing room and I'm just like, I'm not like part of the joke. I am the joke. and I'm like, do I walk off set? Like, this is not what I signed up for. I told everybody I was going to be in a Missy Elliott music video. So finally, it was just like, screw it. Like, I'm going to be the best fat Michael Jackson this world's ever seen. And so I go down and Missy has to approve the, uh, the wardrobe. So I go down to set and I just start dancing. And I am dancing my butt off. And Missy's laughing and cracking up. And so she's like, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. And she's like, that all works. And so I turned to walk away and I'm like smiling, looking at her. And it was literally like if in a movie where I turn around and like, I'm just dejected as I'm walking away. And she goes, um, and she goes, wait, hold on, get him a different shirt. She's like, I like his face. I think his face is funny. So let's put his face on. And then now the shirt doesn't make sense. And so they gave me um, an extra large and that worked. And so then I ended up dancing and I'm in it for about, you can see me, we filmed for like, I don't know, two hours or something, but you can see me for about two seconds <laughs> on there. But you can see me, I'm definitely, it's me. And nobody knows, like if you don't hear me tell that story, 
Nobody knows my character's name is Fat Michael Jackson. There is a line in the song right before you see me that says something like, um, getting down like Michael Jackson socks. Artists drop down like Michael Jackson socks. And you see these two feet come out and go up on their, like, up on their toes. And that was skinny Michael Jackson. So skinny right. Michael Jackson did that. Did the, so you had a stunt double. Skinny yeah, Michael Jackson. Stunt, stunt double. And that's how, literally what they kept calling us. Could we get skinny Michael Jackson to wardrobe? Could we get fat Michael Jackson to wardrobe? And so then the, they don't acknowledge the Michael Jackson part about me at all. But if you know the story, you see I'm wearing a white shirt black pants, silver socks, and Michael Jackson's socks came out right before me, and that's the only allusion to it. But you will know now. I was fat Michael Jackson. I love it. Before I start again, how's how's my little buddy? Doing all right? I am. I'm doing well. Um, We're, you know, we're, we're, like, I think the people that are probably going to, I mean, there are some people who just their business has to shut down during this time, obviously like restaurants and things like that. But I think people who view this as vacation are going to be in trouble. (laughs) But you know, like there's, I have people who are like, yeah, I'm just chilling at home Netflix. I'm like, you could be doing so much right now. Your office is closed, but don't press pause right now. Here's what's crazy. I am working harder right now than I have in, like a year and I have a list of ideas. Like I have a new book I want to write. Um, yep. Thanks for being in it, by the way. Um, <laughs> anyways. Yeah, no, it's, that's the thing. It's like, that's where people need to be is you don't press pause right now. You, you get on your butt and get off your butt and start doing stuff. Love it. All right. So JJ, thank you again for giving uh, us the background of your acting career. <laughs> so when, when, what, so are you acting now at all? Uh, no, not really. I mean, outside of just being funny every day? Yeah, just, you know, an occasional Insta story here and there. Yeah, yeah. which by the way, everyone who's listening to this episode, I will put JJ's social media in this <laughs> show notes, whether he likes it or not, he will brighten <laughs> your day, um, trust me. So let's talk about kind of where you were in life. You know, you're acting, and I know at the time uh, mm-hmm. that you and I originally had met, we were working at the same um, nonprofit uh, projects together. Yeah. And then um, you went, and I believe, did you go back to school or? Uh, I kind of, at the end of doing comedy before I met you, yeah, I went back to school and got my master's um, in uh, theology and the arts. So, study of story and humanity and religion in TV, film, music, all that stuff. And so, then at that, I met you after that. By the way, this sounds like possibly one of the greatest degrees ever. It was really fun. My master's thesis was actually a, um, I wrote a 30 minute sitcom that was an exegetical tool for the book of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> amazing. I'm going to pretend I know what all those words mean. <laughs> and look it up uh, a little bit later. Um, well, was that, was that a, a process that brought you energy or was that a process that was just, uh, no, I, abs- I absolutely loved my master's degree, um, partly because I was, you know, 10 years out of college at that point, and I was there with a bunch of young people who had just graduated from college, so they were like, oh, this is so busy, it's so hard, and I'm like, I get to work out every day, I go to class, I come back, I take a nap, and then I do some homework, like, it's very... It never it, happens in adult life, ever. No, it felt a little bit like a, a, not vacation, but it really felt like a a season of respite for me where Mm. 
I was able to just kind of like focus on my studies and on friendships and then kind of on the acting and different things. That's, that's actually when the Missy Elliott uh, thing came up. And so just, it was a lot of fun and it really taught me a lot about how story works and how to uh, create an argument through story, essentially like create a worldview, um, impact people's perspective and learned a lot about narrative theory. And so that really has kind of carried over into everything that I do now. Mm, that's great. So before we fast forward to where you are now, which is yeah. super exciting, between that point and now, you know, um, if, if we were to dig into any moments in your life where they became really special or, or it, it kind of um, made you pivot, you know, um, so you get your degree and then did you go teach or yeah. go back on the comedy circuit? No, I, yeah, I went and I, <laughs> I started teaching. And so I became a professor and taught communication. So I taught uh, public speaking and um, rhetoric and marketing and at a couple different universities and then ultimately became dean of students at a university and was working kind of in the <laughs> student affair side of things. And so. Hold on, hold on. I got to stop you there. Yeah. So you are <laughs> one of the funniest people in my life. Like literally I'm. For those of you um, who uh, obviously are not here, uh, I think for those who listen to the show, everyone knows I like doing these in person. And I was so excited to do this with you in person. But of course, with what's going on in the world right now, we have to do remote. This is my first remote episode, by the way. And I'm looking at you and I'm laughing, thinking about how just much you make me happy. So, <laughs> Dean of Students. Yes, Dean of like, Students. Like, I, I was the person who kicked kids out of school for being bad. Like, that, I had It was a joke. Like, I can't even imagine you being, like, <laughs> is there an evil JJ? <laughs> there, there is a, there is a harsh JJ. Harsh I, JJ. I don't know about evil, but um, no, but I also had a lot of fun because I was responsible for like new student orientation. So welcoming all students on campus and all of like ASB and student activities. So every event that went on on campus and the dorms, I was over, you know, the RAs and all the dorms. And so uh, I got to do a lot of like party planning, really. It was a lot of party planning and getting people together and building relationships and helping students succeed. So it was a lot of fun, but I, yes, I was also responsible like to be the disciplinarian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just can't. All right. Hold on. I very quickly uh, set the committee for that. I will just tell you that I literally like, I'm like, let's, you know what, let's include other people. You can see that's a great sign of leadership. That's building off your strengths and weaknesses, yes. right? Cause I just be like, yes, he was selling drugs to our students on campus and lit his dorm room on fire but I think he has a good heart. <laughs> so I'm like, somebody else needs to step in and help me here. Sure, it's the seventh time. Yeah. It's the eighth time. It's but who has it? I mean, the reason we fall is so we can get up. <laughs> Providing him an opportunity. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I didn't know you are Dean of Students. Boy, yeah. Um, but so it, I'm, seeing the I'm seeing the pattern here. JJ... <laughs> so, working with people, story, yeah. and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, kind of the big pivot came then. So, um, some things were changing at the school, um, and uh, I, I was, I actually loved my job and everything. But I had, the, I came up with this uh, reality TV show idea, starring my brothers and I, and partnered with a production company, and it got picked up, and we started then getting a lot of interest from. Uh, networks from TV networks and so I left the school to kind of pursue that and so the the TV show was called um, Bad A Brothers 
And the premise is my brothers and I are so not bad A that we can't even say the word. Yeah. So we wanted to up our bad A reputations. And the way we do that is by going around the United States and finding those old weird laws that are still on the books. Like you can't cross the Minnesota border with a duck on your head or you can't have an ice cream cone in your Atlanta. Yeah, real laws. And we would research the history behind those laws and then break them so that we could be more bad A. I would, by the way, I would totally watch that show. Oh, it was a really fun show. And we got, I mean, we got really far with a lot of networks and landed on, we decided to go with Discovery Channel and then their lawyers killed it because uh, we, they didn't want to be associated with their brand associated with Brink Law. And so then we were like, oh, well, we had offers and talks with, all, we didn't have real offers, but like we had interest from all these other networks. So we were like, yeah, we'll go, we'll just go sell it to them. And then at that point, they all just passed because Discovery had passed. And so ended up creating two more reality shows. But by then, my heart was kind of like, eh, I'm over this. <laughs> I, here's, here's the most important question. Yeah. Had you come and try to be more bad A in Illinois, mm-hmm. would I have been called so I could have walked through the set? Would I have been a, a day actor on one of your shows? Oh, sets, yes. Um, 100%. Yeah, okay. that's I all I really care about. It's not whether or not your show got picked up. It's whether I would be in it. Yeah, it probably would, you would have been one of the, let's see, in Illinois, maybe one of the people who was driving a carriage and didn't fire their gun at a four-way stop, something like that, which I think was a law there. Um, so um, we would have put you in a carriage behind a horse. Oh, so. I love it. I love it. So you're, you're, you kind of are like, okay, I'm going to move on. And that took you where? Well, so... I was doing that show and I, and so kind of all in that time, I met Donna Miller, who's the founder of StoryBrand. When I, like the very last event I put on at the university that I was at uh, was kind of, uh, I brought new students in, new student orientation. We did this big kind of retreat thing where we brought in speakers and I brought him in as a speaker. A lot of us feel like the person we are inside isn't impressive enough and um, one of the therapists at Onsite said to me once, um, Donald, you know, animals, when they're threatened, often make themselves appear bigger than they are. And I thought, it's not just animals, right? I mean, it's, it's, we, we tend to do that. At Onsite, you have these roommates, and um, I walked into the cabin that we were staying in and picked my bed, and somebody else walked in and picked their bed, and we talked a little bit, and then our third roommate showed up. There were three of us in the room. And within two minutes of this third roommate showing up, he had told us that uh, he was uh, a master at karate and, and he could k- kill us, I think, within three moves or whatever. And we're like, okay, nice to meet you. And he just kind of had this tough exterior. And, um, and then as the week went on, you know, I would say, hey, man, how are you processing some of this stuff? And he'd be like, well, I really don't like all this sentimental nonsense, you know, blah, blah. One night, he got up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom and he went into the bathroom and kind of left the bathroom door open a little bit. So there was a crack of light shining across the room onto his bed. And the other roommate kind of knocked on his bed, on his, the bed he was sleeping on, and, and kind of motioned and pointed over at this other guy's bed. And there was this just ratty, well-used teddy bear sitting right by this guy's pillow. And I just thought, wow, karate sleeps with a teddy bear, you know? And I don't know why, but I just loved the guy after that. And I just thought, man, this guy is playing tough to scare off threats, 
when he's got this unbelievably endearing person inside him that he's not letting anybody see and nobody's connecting with his deepest self because he's got it covered up with this tough guy exterior that really is, you know, is probably a bunch of nonsense. And we just became friends, but that was my last, like my last thing at the school. And then I was leaving the next week uh, to kind of go full time with the well, team. Yeah. And hold on, where was Don in his career at this point? Because, um, you know, he, he was a best-selling author. Yep. He was and, a best-selling author and had started a company called Storyline, which really helped people create kind of life plans. Um, and it was a conference company and he had just started doing story brand. So he had just then kind of pivoted from helping individuals create their life plan to store companies creating their messaging and marketing story. And so he had just really started story brand and we became friends when he came out to speak and, you know, we had a lot of, what's that? You made him laugh. Yes. Yeah. We we made each other laugh. And so we just became friends and we'd had this kind of similar history of studying story and writing stories and being involved in story. And I was launching this new venture and he's like, well, why don't you come out to Tennessee and go through one of the story brand workshops. It was one of the maybe second or third one they had done. And I said, sure, you know, I'll come out and check it out. I'm, I'm, I have a lot of free time now. And so then flew out to Nashville and immediately fell in love with the whole process because it was kind of a culmination of everything that I'd ever worked on really in my life that mm-hmm. I said, you know, in the beginning, my life felt very jumbled <laughs> before, like I had jumped around a lot. And then I got to StoryBrand and I was like, oh my gosh, this literally brings together everything that I've engaged with. It, it involves teaching, it involves marketing, it involves um, movies, it involves uh, pre- presentation, you know, everything. And it took everything that I had been doing and teaching for 20 years and really boiled it down to a really simple, simple framework and put words to it. It was one of those things that I went to and I was like, are you kidding me? Why didn't I come up with this? Like oh once you see it, it just is like, this seems so obvious. And you remember our texting about yeah, this? Yeah. Because it, uh, so um, you and I have of course stayed in touch. Yeah. And uh, I texted you about something and you go, Hey, have you heard about story brand? And I had, um, said, no, that doesn't sound like something I'd want to be a part of. And then like two weeks later, I went to a pitch uh-huh. and they said, we're going to um, do internally because we just went through StoryBrand. And then I sent you this angry text. I'm like, what is Don Miller doing? Marketing, he should just stay an author. And then you said, you should really come down and try this. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I did, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it just, it's for, and I think even we had this conversation then for people who've been in this world of storytelling and marketing and branding and all that stuff, none of the individual pieces are things that you haven't thought about before, right? Like if you're any good at marketing or communication, most people who are in that space have been doing a lot of these things very naturally. But what this did was put it all in a framework. And what I kind of think of it as is like guardrails and said, these are the rules to story and don't go outside of these rules. And when you understand the rules of story and you stick within it, then everything you create becomes so much easier because you're not drawing from 5 million ideas. You're drawing from a very specific set of questions that lead you to the answer um, and give you what you need to write in emails and websites and 
sales pitches and all that stuff. And, um, and so it totally just changed truthfully, like changed my life. I was there to brand my television show and I kind of just stopped. Like I, there were other people around me who weren't really getting it. And, and being the teacher that I am, I kind of just stopped doing my own. Cause I'm like, I've got this, I can figure this out my own later. And I started helping people and Don like noticed that it wasn't like any, it wasn't like this pre-planned anything but you know like that guy trying to show everyone off in the room you just got to help people yeah like the guy next to me was somebody who worked for a um they build those giant cement poles for huge uh like electric lines in Mm -hmm. the middle of like montana yeah (laughs) and so he's a construction guy an electric engineer as well and he's like not a creative not a communicator guy. And I saw him struggling and I was, and he and I just ended up working on stuff together, which by the way, then they ended up uh, turning the words that we created around into a commercial that then won them a contract, even though they weren't the lowest price. And so it was just kind of, so Don Don was like, okay, let's talk. And he just started saying, well, since you're, you have some free time, would you mind flying out here every couple months when we do these workshops and helping coach and teach? And I said, Yes. And then finally, when um, my contract was up with the production company, I had a chance to renew, but I didn't want to. I was kind of already moved past that. And so then he offered me a full time job and I moved out to Nashville, Tennessee. I'm back in the saddle again. First of all, your team there is fantastic. So you can tell you guys also understand culture. But um, you said something earlier that really resonates with me, and that is there's parts of it you're, you're like, oh, this is so simple. I wish I would have thought of it myself, which is really a sign of its brilliance. Yes. Because the number one thing I tell my team that we almost have it like, you know, tattooed on everyone here is uh, the concept of being, um, stop thinking of yourself as a hero, but think of yourself as the guide. Yeah. Um, yep. Especially in our business, right? Because we were trying to lift up our clients and help them be, be connected and they couldn't quite understand why people either didn't like them or felt they weren't listening. Yeah. Um, but, but, and we can go back to that point, but the biggest thing is how great you are with people because you have this natural ability to hear people, especially when they're frustrated or they disagree and you can kind of crack a joke and, and you are, you're brilliant at, at uh, helping people be open to um, hearing a different perspective. So I love that about you. Oh, well, thank you. And I think this is what makes you great at your job. Oh, don't worry, I'll cut this whole compliment out. So yeah, you don't mind, because I can't think of anything to compliment you on at the moment. We'll come back and edit that in. We'll, we'll edit that in. Don't worry about it. I'm sure. I know that's what you were doing. You were just fishing for compliments. So. And I know you're just improving now. You don't really mean that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'll think of it. I, I, I want it to be perfect, Justin. Yeah. That's why I'm not just throwing out crap right now. So you, you come out, you start with StoryBrand. Yep. And at the time, StoryBrand was what, two years in, three years in maybe? Yeah, I mean, John had been doing some workshops um, for a couple of years at that point, I think, maybe a year or two. Um, and then really, w- by bringing me on, and then there was a, a, like three other people that came on right at that time. So, he, you know, I mentioned he, was, he had been doing storylines, so there was the conference side of things and the life planning, and then slowly started StoryBrand. And really when I came on is when we decided to stop doing storyline and leave kind of the conference side behind and go full-time story brand. So that was about four and a half years ago. Um, And um, at that point there was maybe 
five of us, six of us on staff. And, um, and we've now, we're now about 25 on staff and have grown to over a, about a $13 million company. Um, and so, yeah, it's been, it's been a wild ride. It's been really fun to just kind of be a part of it because the, the part that I really do believe of why we kind of grew and succeeded was that, we held on to that principle that you're talking about. One of the one of the principles of the story brand framework is you are not the hero of your story. So many companies try when they put messaging and marketing out there, they try to be the hero. They try to look great and show how great they are and impress their clients. And in reality, we would argue that you're going to do better and be more successful if you position yourself as the guide instead of the hero. Your customer is the hero. Your customer is Luke Skywalker and you're Obi-Wan Kenobi or Yoda. Your customer is uh, Frodo and you're Gandalf. A wizard is never late, Frodo Baggins. And so your whole job as a brand is to help companies, help your clients succeed, help your customers succeed, not only in your messaging, but also in just the way you live. And so we've taken the stance of trying to be a very generous brand with everything, giving out um, a ton of free information. And in fact, really putting almost everything, even from an intellectual property perspective out there, either in a book form or video form, that if people really wanted to dig through everything and take the time, they could do it themselves. Um, because I daily videos and I'm just like, how in the world do you do a video a day for a work day? That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did a thing called a uh, business made simple and business made simple daily where Don just did a business tip every day. Hey everybody. Today's business made simple is about how to be a team player. You're likely on a team and you're wondering, how do I fit in? How do I get people to like me? How do I contribute to the cause? And there's a lot that goes into that, but there's one thing that I want to focus on. It's just a paradigm shift that I think will change everything for you. And everybody will refer to you as a team player once you act on this paradigm shift. The paradigm shift is this, just constantly try to help other people win. I mean, when you walk in the door in the morning, you've got a job to do and your initial thought is going to be, What's everything that I need to get done? That's incredibly important if you want to be competent and you want to move up in a company. But the other thing that you want to do with with part of your brain is to say, what does everybody else need? And how do my how do my teammates? Uh, what is winning for them? And how can I help them win? For almost a year, we ended up stopping it just short of a year, which he was not happy about. But almost every year, yeah, we was would like two hundred and some post or something yeah 200 and something I think 260 something and so basically every day people would get a business tip and most of it just came right out of our own experience like what have we seen what have we learned and we would film you know we'd we'd go in on a Friday and film 20 of them at a time and then edit them and get them out and and we you know in it's not just I mean Bottom line, we want our customers to succeed and we want them to be the hero of their own journey. And so we're giving them all the tools they can do it themselves. But what it also does is it builds reciprocity. Mm -hmm. It builds trust. And it, it lets people trust us as their guide. Because you don't just automatically become somebody's guide. You don't just automatically walk in and go, hey, I got you, follow me. You have to actually show that you have empathy and authority. Those are two principles of what, how you position yourself as a guide and empathy is I understand what you're going through and authority is I've helped other people go through it and even here's some things to help you go through it. So when you do that as a brand, 
you actually create reciprocity and so people trust us so now even in this season when we're in the corona covid kind of shutdown a little bit we're continuing to sell and build products and we're doing them at a price point that we believe will help our customers succeed. We, we, we try to price things at where we feel like people are going to get a 10 times return on what they've invested. So if we don't think they can actually make 10 times off of us what they paid us, then we don't sell that product. Um, and we've just done that over the years. And because we've done that, people now trust us. And so even in this season, we are still able to sell products. And, and the big part is, is our whole job is really uh, to help people create sales funnels. So communicate with their customers and clients when you can't see them face to face, right? So we teach people how to create one-liners to talk about what you do, website wireframes, so language, what language you put on your website, lead generators, nurture emails and sales emails. And you know, as I think the biggest thing for me is that in this season, when you can't be out, when you can't see people face to face, when you can't bring them in and have pitch meetings in person, or you can't uh, bring them into your retail space, you have to find a way to communicate. And there's no better way than a sales funnel. And, and that's what we've been teaching people to do for years now. Um, and so, we, in fact, the book that we just released. Uh, two weeks ago from this interview um it was kind of crazy because I, I looked at it after it was out and after the shutdown had already happened and i was going what what an amazing time like i just want everybody to get that book because it really just goes step by step on how to continue communicating with your customers in a way um, that engages them when you can't see them face to face as you've heard so far on this podcast jj is an incredible storyteller completely authentic and passionate about helping others tell story and connect to whatever goal they have. Marketing Made Simple is a great book. I just finished reading it. It's uh, insightful, uh, very applicable, and it's a book not only perfect for today's current world status, but also anytime for your business. Anytime you can clarify your message, connect to consumers, donors, whatever your business is, in a straightforward, understandable, and easy way, why wouldn't you want to read it? So here's JJ about his new book. And we all know the secret brains and talent behind StoryBrand is JJ, not Don Miller. He's riding your coattails. <laughs> no, that is 100% not true. Uh, it's actually Kula, who you also know. Um, oh, that, now that uh, I believe. That, yeah. yeah, he's yeah. the secret sauce. No, it's really fun. I, I, like, I really do love it, what we do, but I also love who I do it with. And we all work really, really well together. Um, we, we kind of complement each other in different ways. Don is very driven and he's, he really is a genius. And um, he comes up with ways, and his genius is in simplification really it's taking really complicated things and like a lot of business jargon and boiling it down to really easy understandable and easy applicable things and then part of my role is to then take that and uh, as the director of teaching and facilitation is that i take his genius and train other people to do it so i teach people how to teach it 
I get to put together workbooks. I get kind of to take the practical, his genius, and then make it so that other people can have that same genius. And then Kula is, uh, she's also on our content team and she's on some of our podcasts and videos and stuff. And she then kind of, or she's really Don and I's boss. <laughs> she organizes and us. Let's just also yeah. say this on, uh, on air. She is the coolest of the three of you. Yeah, she 100%. There's no doubt in my mind. She is by far the coolest of the three of us. Um, but she then um, kind of takes it. And then we have a whole team that really does also amazing and wonderful, you know, video editors and content creators and writers. And, um, you know, we get to be, Don and Kula and I kind of get to be the face of the company through videos and podcasts and teaching and writing. But really, like, it's... It, it, it's my job and I, you know, it sounds cliche, but my job is so easy because of the people that we have around us. You know, a couple of years ago, StoryBrand um, shared the whole approach and methodology in the first book, which was called Building a Story Brand. And then this is, would you say this is a part two or? Yeah. I mean, you can, you can get it on its own if, if you haven't read the first one, but it really is a continuation. And where it came about really in many ways is, so my dissertation, um, I got my PhD in communication and studied narrative theory. And um, basically, ultimately did my dissertation on the uh, effectiveness of story brand. <laughs> like does, does creating narrative marketing work? Like if you change from say fact-based marketing to narrative-based marketing, will you see an improvement in number of customers, customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction, saving time, saving money, all that stuff. And that was really the first question of my dissertation was, does it work? And the answer was yes. And then the second question I wanted to know is why does it work? Is there, are there factors that play into success. So if you're a large company or a small company, if you are B2B or B2C, if you have a marketing background or you're none, nonprofit, for-profit, if you're male or female, if you're over 35, I mean, I literally looked at every single factor I could think of to break down like, does it matter? Does, does any of these factors have an influence on success? And the answer came back, no. None of them. It basically changing the narrative marketing works for everybody. Mm -hmm. There was one factor that you could see a clear indication of um, growth of success in all areas. And that was if you actually implemented, <laughs> which seems like such a no brainer. But basically when you take all the different aspects of a, of your marketing. So when you say like your emails and your website and your language in your retail space and um, lead generators and all that stuff, if you just applied narrative theory to your website, you saw incremental success. If you applied it to your website and your emails, you saw greater success. Website, emails, lead generator, greater success. The more you implemented, the more you actually did it, the more success you saw. And specifically, saved time and money, got more customers, grew your business, and united your team. Like those were the big ones that had the biggest influence. And so we were, Don was in the process of writing a different book. And we, and in the sense of what I said earlier, we just want our customers to succeed. Like, well, the greatest factor in success is if they actually do it. So we want to write a book that helps them do it and helps them do it in a very easy, non-overwhelming kind of way. And that's where we came up with Marketing Made Simple. 
And so Marketing Made Simple just really walks through how to create a sales funnel using clear language. And we walk step by step. Here's how to do a one-liner, which that's just how to explain what you do as a company. Here's the words to put on your website. We, we don't really live in the space of like design so much, like branding space. We're really messaging. So it, we go through and say, this is what you put on your website, the words. This are the words you put in your um, lead generator, breaking it down paragraph by paragraph. Same with sales emails, nurture emails. And because we know that if you actually do it and we make it easy for you to do it, you're going to see more success. I know we had a we have a mutual friend named Justin Arducci and he would always point to you and say, JJ, mm -hmm. be funny. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I hated him for it every single time. <laughs> but I just wanted to say that to you so I could get your laugh because I want to make your laugh a ringtone. How do you feel yeah. about that? You know that somebody did? What? Somebody did, yeah. Actually put it to music and everything. Yeah, it's a real thing. I don't know. I'll have to find it and send it to you. No, it's a free download that my laugh was turned into a ringtone. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> no. Well, hey, brother, thank you for your time. No. Um, uh, I really appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing for, um, well, all types of business owners, but especially what you've done for um, my team and uh, you and Don and the whole squad. We, we really appreciate you. Thank you to my incredibly generous and hilarious friend, Dr. J.J. Peterson, and for sharing his exploration of story that really has defined his life and career. For more on J.J., StoryBrand, and his book, go to storybrand.com or Google his book, Marketing Made Simple. Thanks, J.J. I would also like to thank Sleeping At Last for being the soundtrack to our show. For more on Ryan and his music, please go to sleepingatlast.com or search for Sleeping At Last wherever you get your music from. To Design of's audio engineer, Steve Wick, who loved this episode just so we could look up his favorite office scene. Finishing that 5K was the hardest thing I have ever had to do. And while I eventually puked my guts out, I never puked my heart out. And I'm very, very proud of that. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. If so, please give us a ranking on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Tell others about our show and stay tuned for the next episode. Please follow us on Twitter at Design of Podcast and check out our site at rule29.com forward slash design of podcast. See you next episode. <laughs>